Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would speak to us of your love and faithfulness, of your promises, and uh, teach us who you are. And by teaching us who you are, teach us who we are. And so uh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear and um, speak to our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So the opening chapters of the book of Exodus, which we're going to be studying over the next seven months, uh, talk about uh, Moses' calling to become the leader of Israel. He's going to lead Israel out of slavery and lead them to the promised land for, uh, for 40 years. He's, he's going to be leading them. And, um, these, uh, and, and so this morning I want to talk about the topic of calling. We're going to talk about it today and then again in two weeks we'll talk a little bit more about calling so we won't get, everything this mor- every, get to everything this morning. And for many of you, um, calling is a significant question in your life. Oz Guinness, who's a Christian author, puts it this way. At some point, every one of us confronts the question, how do I find, how do I find and fulfill the central purpose of my life? Every one of us is confronted with that question. How do I find and fulfill the central purpose of my life? And that's a particularly difficult question living in our generation because, you know, for the vast majority of human history, what people did with their lives was not really a choice. It was something that was chosen for them. You know, you did basically whatever your family did, right? So if you were a family, they were shepherds, or they were farmers, or they were tailors or butchers. You did the family business. You were part of it. That's what my dad did, so that's what I became. And, um, and so you really had no choice in it. But we live in a generation that's been taught from childhood you can do anything you want with your life. Anything you want. No one defines you, especially your family. Your family don't, you know, break out of the mold in the tradition of your family. And you can be anyone you want to. You can do anything you set your mind to. Which for some of you may be very liberating. You might say, wow, 
you know, I'm not constrained by the tradition of my family. The sky is the limit. I can pick whatever calling I have, and that sounds so exciting. But many people are also deeply disenchanted by that calling. I mean, that is overwhelming because on the one hand it says, if you are able to do anything with your life, then whatever it is you do with your life, it had better be amazing. It better be awesome. It better, you know, you better do something incredible. And there is a crushing burden to say, I have to make meaning for my own life. I have to create a purpose for myself and make sure that it's awesome. That can be a crushing burden. Well, I'm here to tell you that um, you were never meant to create a meaning for your own life or a purpose for your own life. You weren't intended to do that. Um, the Bible's answer to what is the central purpose of my life is calling. The voice of God speaking into our lives and shaping who we are is something that God creates. It's something that God defines a calling. And so this morning, I want to uh, look at this passage, the early life of Moses, and just highlight uh, three ways that God shapes our calling from this passage. This is what they are. God shapes our calling through our childhood. God shapes our calling through other people, important people that are placed in our lives. And then lastly, God shapes our calling through giving us a new identity, through a new identity, through our childhood, through other people, and through a new identity. Okay, so three things this morning. The first is this. Calling is shaped by our childhood. And I think, you know, one thing to remember about this passage that we're reading in Exodus is that this was written by Moses. It's about Moses, but the book of Exodus was written by Moses. And so as Moses is talking about his calling to become the leader of Israel, he thought it was important these reflections on key episodes in his childhood. His calling did not begin at the burning bush. If some of you know the story of the burning bush where Moses is, is a shepherd later in his life and he comes across, God speaks to him out of the burning bush. He says, that's not when my calling began. It, ca it began when I was an infant. And the word child appears seven times in, the, in these, these verses. And very often for many of us, the purposes that God has for our lives are shaped in childhood, both by our families and also by some of the crises that we experience in our childhood are all integral to our calling. So let me, let me show you that from this text. First, look at verse 1. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. So this talks about Moses' mother and father, who are Levites, and the original audience who would have first read Exodus would have heard Levites, and they said, oh, the Levites, those are the pastors of Israel. They're the spiritual leaders and the priests. And so it could either mean that they're saying, wow, okay, well, this is the kind of family that Moses came from, or they might have said, oh, we come from a family where Moses, you know, people like Moses come from. That's the kind of family that we come from. The kind of family uh, he came from was a part of his formation to serve the Lord. But also, Moses' childhood had a particular darkness to it. And if you were here last week, you know that we read the, the horrific story about the king of Egypt, how he made this order that he, uh, male Hebrew babies were all to be killed and thrown in the Nile. And you'll see what it says here in verse 2. 
The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. She's hiding him from being killed. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the riverbank. So you imagine how horrifying this is a mother. Mother loves her son, puts him in a basket, covers the basket, and sends him off down the river just to see what happens, exposes her son. And Moses is looking back on his childhood, and he says, I see my calling already happening when I was an infant because I was saved out of the waters. And what's Moses later going to do in life? He's going to deliver God's people through the Red Sea, and they're saved through the waters. And if he finds out that the deliverer was first delivered himself as an infant, the calling began very early in his childhood, and even this deeply traumatic time. And these two aspects of our childhood, I think, have a profound impact on our calling, our families. And even in the crises of our early life. And I, you know, I know in my own life, uh, you know, I've been a part of starting a church, starting a school. And I didn't know this about myself, that I like being a part of something that, you know, the founding of something or the beginnings of things. And actually, my sister is also is a business owner in town. She owns Avenue Bread. She likes building, you know, bakeries. And yet, but I look back in my early life, my parents... Uh, started an arcade when I was nine years old out of nothing. There's an 18-hole mini-golf place and batting cages. And I watched them. They just had an idea, and it just started. I had no idea that I was growing up in a family of entrepreneurs, and that's shaped me. That's shaped my sister. And, and, and of course, that's a gift to grow up in a context where you just kind of inherit what is natural for your family to do. But this is also true of the crises of our early life. Let me, let me give you another example. Um, I had one of my favorite uh, seminary professors was uh, a professor, he's a New Testament professor who I took a, a three-hour evening course with him. So it was a three-hour lecture. And he would have me transfixed for three hours. He could talk for three hours and he could keep going. And he just had this amazing ability to be interesting. And, you know, it's not always true about Bible scholars is that they're easy, you know, interesting to listen to. And, um, but uh, after I graduated, he actually came to Bellingham. He was doing some work with Faith Life here in town. And uh, I had coffee with him. And he was telling me that actually in his early life, he grew up with a father who was really harsh. And he said that probably 10,000 times in his childhood, he heard his father say, you're worthless and you will amount to nothing. And so much of his life, you know, he was dealing with how that's affected him in his adult life and how he interacts with people and interacts with his own family. But then he did realize that that's why he was able to keep people interested in what he was saying is because he learned 10,000 times to see how people were emotionally responding to him. And so he could look at a room of hundreds of people and know how everyone was emotionally responding to what he was saying. And so he could tell a story and he could change the subject to get them back involved. And, and, and so this amazing thing, it was a terrible part of his childhood that grieves God has actually been formative for his calling and his ministry of the gospel. And you can see how different this picture is than what our culture says. Our culture says you make your own calling. But the formative aspects of our childhood, both the good things and the bad things of our childhood, are not things that we chose, not things we decided for ourselves, not things we invented for ourselves. But they are a part of God's mysterious, sovereign formation. 
And the Bible tells us that when you are in Christ, every experience, every experience of your childhood is used formatively for your calling. Nothing is wasted. That is an amazing reality about who we are and and God's purposes in our lives and how God shapes us. So the first thing we see in this passage, Moses is telling a story about his childhood, and he sees that as integral to his calling. Okay. Second thing we see is that calling is shaped by people, important people. And actually, the beginning of Exodus is really interesting. Last week, we saw that the two heroes of the story were these two women who were midwives. And now we see in this story there are three more women who are play an important role. Moses' uh, uh, mother, Moses' sister, and then the daughter of Pharaoh in this story. And throughout this passage, there's a repetition of the, of the word seeing that these women saw Moses. And um, I want to highlight how our calling in life is shaped when people see us. And I want to notice that about each of these women. So first, our calling is shaped by those who see that we're lovely. And look at verse 2, what it says again. The woman conceived and bore a son... And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, that's a, actually, that's an important Hebrew phrase that's used other places in the Old Testament. If you look at the other places that's used in the Old Testament, it's an idiom that means that what's happening here is it's not so much about Moses being beautiful. It's more a phrase about the mother, his mother's affection for him. She saw that he was good, and, and, and it was about her fondness for her son. And... Um, I think that's remarkable that Moses is writing about his calling and he includes this little episode of his mom looking on him and thinking that she loves him and she adores him and she has affection for him. And he's saying that his mother's affection was an essential ingredient in God's calling in his life. And that's one of the things that the world tells us, that if you are lovely, then we will love you. If you're lovely, we will love you. The Bible reverses that and says that you are loved first. You are, you are treated with love and then you become lovely. Love bestows loveliness on us. And that's what, uh, what um, Moses is highlighting here. And, you know, if you were here last week, I mentioned uh, a book that I, I was, I've been listening to in my car called uh, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, who's a lawyer who works with minority groups and the poor in the South. And uh, I, when I was preparing for that sermon, I watched Brian Stevenson's TED Talk. And in that TED Talk, he talks about his grandmother, who he adored his grandmother, and she loved him, and his grandmother had 10 children. And so the number of grandchildren, all of his cousins, there's just dozens of, of cousins that would all get together for these parties. He was telling about one time when he was eight or nine years old, and all the cousins were just running around like crazy in this house, and he saw this grandmother kept staring at him, and she was looking at him. And he's kind of thinking, why does she keep looking at me? And all of a sudden, she comes over, and she says, Brian, I want you to come on a walk with me, and I'm going to go outside, we're going to talk for a minute. And she said, Brian, I want you to know that I've been watching you. And I can see that you are special. There's something special about you. And... So you need to know, you need to remember this, that there is anything that you want to do in your life, you can do it. And believe that I told you this, don't I? And he says, he, you know, you know, I was 52, and he's a lawyer, and he says, I never forget that moment. 
And it was a, an incredible moment where his mother, his, uh, his grandmother was saying who he was and was speaking love into him. And actually, it's funny because he says, years, you know, a few years later, he started talking to his cousins and he found out that all the cousins had the same conversation with their grandmother. <laughs> and uh, so they were all special. But she had the conversation. And Moses was saying that something like that happened to him when he was a child. And it was, it was important. It was, it was recorded in the Bible. But some of you might say, you know, well, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have a mother who doted on me like that, who was fond of me. Well, God brings other people into our lives that are important as well. That's the second. It's not only that God shapes us by those who see that we're lovely, but God also uh, shapes us by those who see that we are gods, that, that we belong to God, that God's hand is upon us. And you can see that in verse 4, second woman who shows up in the scene, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And this sister, we'll find out later, is an important character in the book of Exodus. Her name is Miriam, who will also become a leader in, in Israel. And she plays this interesting role in the story because she's watching. After Moses' mother puts him in the basket and sends him out into the river, uh, Miriam goes and she's kind of in the bushes watching to see what's, what's going to happen. And she has this sense of anticipation that maybe God is going to do something. She says, to know what would be done to him. And uh, this is the way Calvin puts it, is that in the darkness of this crisis, she had a spark of faith. A spark of faith to see how God would work. Our calling is shaped also by people who see God's providential hand at work in our lives and tell that to us. I'd say, I think that's a major, one of the major reasons why God has brought us together as a community, for us to do that for each other. I mean, how valuable is it for other people to say to us that I see the Spirit of God working in you in, the, in these ways. This is how I see you growing. This is how I see you changing. This is how I see you're, you're gifted. Because for so many of us, we feel like God is frustrated with us or disappointed with us all the time. And we're not even aware of the ways that God is working in our own lives. And that is why God has brought us together. It's one of the ways that he shapes our calling. And I should also say, I think this is true about our children, for those of you who are parents, to see how is the Spirit of God forming and shaping our children and to say that to them. You know, so much of our parenting is corrective and encouragement to say, God is working in your young life, and I see it, and I'm excited to see how God works, okay? Now, you might hear these first two women, uh, from these first two women, that our calling is shaped by people seeing how great we are, right? Moses' mom thought that he was great, and Moses' sister got to watch God's hand caring for him as he went down the river, and he finally meets uh, Pharaoh's daughter. But often the most important aspects of our calling do not come from our places of strength, but out of our weakness. Our calling is shaped by people who see us with love, who see God's hand on us, but lastly, those who see that we are weak. People see, when people see our weakness, our calling is being shaped. And the third woman who appears in Moses' life in this passage is the daughter of Pharaoh. And look at what it says in verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. 
she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the child was crying. She took pity on him. Moses was not just a beautiful child who had God's hand upon him. Moses was vulnerable and weak and needed someone to take pity on him. He needed someone to take pity on him. And that's a major aspect of calling that I think our culture does not understand. When our culture talks about calling, it tells you you should be strong, you should fear nothing, you should go take risks, you should jump into the world, you should believe in yourself. And this passage tells us that you cannot make it in this world without grace. None of us can make it in this world without God's grace in our life. And God showing compassion, people showing compassion and pity upon us. We all need that. And I think you can't, I can't read this passage about, you know, uh, Pharaoh's daughter looking and ha- having pity without thinking of the Gospels. That's a refrain throughout the Gospels that Jesus sees people and has compassion on them. That's over and over. It says that Jesus sees people and has compassion on them. And uh, this was true of Moses, the great leader and deliverer of God's people. Who's gonna, he's going to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and argue with Pharaoh and say, you need to let God's people go. And the beginning of his calling was when he was in a place of weakness and vulnerability and someone showed compassion on him. And this is where the Christian view of calling becomes so deep and so different than what we are used to because our culture says, okay, yes, your, your childhood might shape some of who you are and people that God brings into your life, but ultimately your calling is up to you. You create your own reality. You create your own identity. And the Bible says emphatically, no, you don't. God created this reality. God holds this reality together. The world that we are living in, in your world that you're living in, God holds it together. And your identity is not something you make. It is something that God gives to you. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is shaping us according to his own purposes. This is a radically different way of viewing your life. And so this leads to the last thing. So calling is, is shaped by our childhood. It's shaped by important people that God brings into our life in important times. And the ca- calling is shaped by a new identity. And you can see this in verse 10. It says, When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, in the ancient world, people did not give names just because they sounded good, and I, I like that name. It's a cute name, and it was my favorite one on the list. That's not how they did that. They gave names because na- giving a name was giving an identity. The names told a story about who you were and that that was going to shape the, the rest of your life. And Moses' name had two interesting meanings. So the first was that in Hebrew, it has the same consonants of the, of the word for to be drawn out of the waters, to be drawn out of the waters. And that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that Moses highlights here in verse 10. But scholars have also pointed out that the name Moses in Egyptian means son. He is the one who's drawn out of the waters, and he is a son. Now, we are not all Moseses, but those two identities are the same identities that God gives to us in Christ when we become Christians, drawn out of the waters 
and son. And let me just talk about each of these briefly. So the first one is, your identity, if you are in Christ, is you are one who's been drawn out of the waters. And being drawn out of the waters is an important storyline in the Bible. You know, if you read Genesis 1 about the creation, it's about the waters parting and the land comes up and then God puts all the animals and the humans on the land. And so there's a parting of the waters. And actually, if you look at this one more thing from this passage, verse 3, where it says, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes. That word for basket, it's, it's only used in one other place in the Old Testament. It's the ark. It's the same word for the ark, Noah's ark. You know where he's saved through the waters. He's saved through the flood. And then Israel's going to pass through the waters of the Red Sea, and then they're going to go through the waters of the Jordan into the Promised Land. And actually, I was just reading in, in my own devotions a couple weeks ago in the book of Leviticus, where it talks about when the priests in the Old Testament were ordained, they were washed with water. And that's the same with us. When we put our faith in Christ, we are baptized and we pass through the waters. And that becomes this definition of our identity. It defines our calling. It says that you've passed through the waters out of sin, out of death, into new life. And you have been ordained as a priest. How many of you think of yourself that way as your calling? That I'm someone who brings the knowledge of the love and truth and glory of God to the nations. And I have been commissioned to do that as a Christian. I've been filled with the Spirit. I've been given the word that's been put in my heart and in my mouth. And as I show the love of Christ to many, I, this is my calling. My baptism gives me uh, my calling. And so the first identity that Moses talks about is those who have passed through the waters. But the second one is his name that you are son. And of course, if you are in Christ... The Bible says that you are a son of God. If, whether you're male or female, you're a son of God because the sons are the heirs. And the women, you women are sons of God. Just like we're all the bride of Christ, men and women, we're all the bride of Christ. All men and women are all sons of God because we're heirs. And, um, you know, I was reading a, a book this summer called Union with Christ by a guy named Rankin Wilborn, uh, which is about having an identity in Jesus. What, how, how does that shape how we view our life and our calling? And in the opening chapter, he, he talks about this illustration where he says, you know, imagine that you grow up with, in a home where, you know, your parents are very critical, very harsh. You seem to always be disappointing them. And one day you go up into the attic and you find this old dusty trunk and you pick the lock on the trunk, you open it up and you find all these papers that show that they're actually not really your parents. You were abducted and you were stolen. And then the papers also tell that your real parents are, your mom is like a world famous painter and your dad is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. And it turns out they're actually really wealthy and you have this enormous inheritance that is awaiting you. And all of a sudden, and then you come back down out of the attic with this new information about your life and who you are. And this is what, what Wilborn says. He says, such a discovery would cause you to reinterpret everything about your life, where you came from, your true identity, your capacities and capabilities, the resources available to you, your future and your destiny. After that day, your life would never be the same. You would come down from the attic with new eyes for everything and everyone. Your whole life would feel new, changed, and invigorated. That's who we are. We have a new father. 
the Father who created all things. He is a great artist. <laughs> and he's given us his spirit. He's filled us with his personality and his, the way he, his wisdom and his love. And he's made us brothers and sisters in his family. And, that's, and we have an enormous inheritance. We have a share in the, uh, the renewal of all things in the age to come that we will live for endless ages with him. That is where we're going. That's our, our future and that's our history. And so what being a Christian is, is having our eyes open to that reality of who we are in Christ. And so when we started this sermon, I know many of you might have been like, oh, sermon on calling. What job should I get? You got to back up. You can't answer the question about what should I do with my life until you've answered the question of who am I? And that's what this new identity, that's what the Bible does. It always calls us to back up and say, this is who you are in Christ. And to believe it and to receive it with faith that you have been drawn out of the waters and you are a beloved son of the Most High God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have adopted us as your beloved children. You have joined us to Christ and filled us with your spirit, forgiven all our sins. Teach us what it is to rest in that love and that identity. Will that identity shape how we live and see all that we do and see our future? Train us in this, we ask in Jesus' name.